Welcome, let's stand up and worship the Lord.
Our God, a firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. Nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken. But we trust forever in your name. The name of Jesus. We trust the name of Jesus. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. Unmatched in all your wisdom, in love and justice you will reign, and every knee will bow. We bring our expectations, our hope is anchored in your name, the name of Jesus. You are victorious, you are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are
God, we just thank you that we can be here today and we can worship you. Um, our heart does need a surgeon, God. We pray that we can run to you and that as we're here and we're, we're coming to you with everything that's swirling around us in life, that, God, you um, will just uh, be there with your ar ever-loving arms wrapped open just to go ahead and hug us and just make us feel 
that uh, the love that you have for us. So God, whatever we have in this time, I pray that your Holy Spirit will fall, that um, even more than it already has, that you'll just empower us um, to be your church. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. They know where you live. They feed on your flaws. They drain your time. And they never leave you alone. Hey, I need to run a few errands. Can you watch my dog? Again. On here, there we go. Um, so, uh, don't you love that? I love that little thing there. Everybody good? Yep. All right. So, give me a second here. Get myself uh, dressed and undressed and fixed. And I, always, I always love that joke that I used to tell years ago. I still do it because I'm telling it now. Um, when there was a pastor who, um, back in the days where you had a mic and it was attached to you. And, he, and it was a lapel mic that was attached and he was walking. He kept getting it wrapped around his feet and he, he kept going, and he was, he was very fiery, and he was like, to everybody, and the little girl was sitting in the front row, and she's looking, and he, he'd get caught up, he'd kick his foot again, he'd, he'd pull on it, and she leans over to dad and says, if he gets loose, will he hurt us? You know, so, so sometimes I guess if I get loose, I may hurt you, but um, anyway. All right, everyone, we're here. Um, again, welcome to Haven Community Church. I want to welcome our online uh, viewership and everybody who is here in person. Um, so thank you for being here and worshiping uh, the Lord, and um, we just continue to pray that God will continue to, uh, to, um, to just heal our land, right? Heal this, and by that I mean our world. Um, been, uh, well, we're coming up on um, two years that we've been talking about this COVID thing, and um, just when we think we get some good things, we have some other things that go on. So continue to pray for everyone, no matter where you are, in the sound of my voice. Um, okay, so a couple things that we want to do in lifting up our prayers. Um, uh, we want to pray for Lou for healing. Um, I thank you, God, for Haven and for Marge. Marge has car issues today. Um, for Taylor Dixon, that her mom completely heals from back surgery and gets back on her feet. And I know Taylor's ready for that because she's helping take care of her. So that would be good. Um, Emily and Wes, um, Wesley, uh, prayers for Susan Smith who is in the hospital um, on a ventilator. Um, so we want to continue to pray for her. Um, prayers for Jerry Smith, who is recuperating from COVID, and we give God praise for that. For Jen, for the Lagallo family, and the loss of her niece, uh, K- uh, what is it? Kadia, Kadia, so um, horrible. How old was she? 18, so just tragic. Um, and traveling mercies for them as they fly for her funeral tomorrow in Florida, and um, that's that. Uh, again, um, a thanks from Sarah, as well as um, our family, for everyone's support um, as we honored Danny Pilkington's life on, uh, on Wednesday. And yes, that feels so weird to say, um, but um, continue to lift us up in prayers as um, the, he- the healing process and grief, as we talked about grief last week. Also, thank you, everyone, for the, um, the, uh, the good pluses after... Um, after the message, a lot of people seem to really like and need that uh, message on grief last week. And, and so I want, um, I want to thank you all for that. All right, so let's pray right now. Let's go to Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we just, um, God, you're just awesome. And, and with everything going on in our world and in our lives, sometimes we just lose sight of the fact that you are in control, that um, 
regardless of what happens in this world, if we have a, a living faith and, and a powerful faith in the living God um, and in Jesus Christ, that, Lord, uh, this is not the end of the story, but only the beginning. And so, God, for, for the ups and downs that we have in our world, for the, um, the great joys that you give us, a lot of times we just focus on, on some of the... Um, the things that we need, the prayer requests like, God, I need this, I need that. God, I just want to thank you that you, um, you ha- we have a place here that we can call home and we can worship uh, you in the midst of that. I thank you that over the last year with all these challenges that this church has continued to, to serve in ministry, that we continue to support our brothers and sisters in Haiti and around the world. I, I, I thank you, God, that your just Holy Spirit is very present and you're, in, even in the darkest times and even in the, the biggest struggles, God, you are working and causing growth. And so for that and for all these others, I, I ask all the people who lifted up that those who are in the process of, of getting healing, the one on the ventilator, the other one that um, is um, recuperating, um, the loss of a young life that, um, uh, that years that, that were hoped for and, and planned are now gone. I ask that you be with that family. Uh, and for ev- everyone else in the prayers for Taylor's mom, um, as she's um, been ministered your healing through surgeons, I ask that you go ahead and continue to, um, to bring healing and restoration to her. And so, God, for, for these and all other things that we ask, we just lift this time up to you. I ask that whatever I say, um, not be my words, but yours, um, that you speak to us uh, in, in whatever means you need to, through song, through worship, through a smile, through whatever it may be. God, make your, your presence super real to us. And for that, we give you praise in all things, in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, so um, we have a lot of different things going on. Last week, remember, last week we lifted up, um, we lifted up our, um, our uh, Operation Christmas Child. I almost forgot what I was lifting up. Um, and also Thanksgiving. You're going to see some of those um, in a second. So um, let's go ahead and let me show you a uh, lot of things that are happening here at church.
All right, so you can see there's a lot, and you guys are probably like, whoa, I got it. Um, that's, that's fine. We recognize that. If you need any, um, anything, you can see any of the people with shirts or whatever else out there. They'll be glad to help you. Um, also, um, we have some information on our posters out there as well. Um, but also, if you're like, I, I, you feel overwhelmed with everything, awesome. That's good. Um, that's a good thing. That means stuff's going on. If you're, if you're underwhelmed, that means nothing's going on. Uh, but if, if you want to connect and plug in to some of that stuff, um, by all means, you can get any information um, at havencc.org or by um, emailing at info at havencc.org, and that, they will get back to you right away. Okay, so um, again, our um, Operation Christmas Child, that is the 7th of November. They need to be in, so we get them to them by uh, Christmas time, and um, that's just an incredible ministry. We're looking at 300 boxes. You can gather stuff, bring them in. If you're um, if you know somebody who's not affiliated with church, it's a giving time, go ahead and ask them. I mean, we don't care where it comes from. Um, we just want to go ahead and get that in somebody's hands so that they can know the love of Christ. And that's one of the main things. And the Thanksgiving meals, we'll be uh, collecting those and lots and lots of things. So that's exciting. And I know um, Trunk or Treat on, on next weekend. And, um, and so I know if you're, you're interested in that. Always fun to see how people design their, their cars and other kinds of stuff that we have, and it's just a fun time. Last year, when there wasn't much going on, um, it was nice that uh, Trunk or Treat was one of the first things that we were able to connect with and um, go ahead and do. So I, I'm excited about those things. Okay, everybody good? All right, all right. Well, good to see you today. We are in the third week, which is actually week two when I originally planned the sermon um, series, um, and this, uh, the series is called Relational Vampires. Um, how to deal with people that suck the life out of you, all right? So that's one of the things we want to we do, and we want to talk about that. So this is actually week three, but my, my, my original planning is week two. So last week was week 1A that we had. So um, what does a vampire do? Wants to suck your blood, right? That's what we do. That's what that vampire wants to do. And um, there are relationship vampires who just kind of suck every ounce of life out of you, um, so anybody have any of those people in your life over years? Anybody? I mean, okay, good. Um, so we have some of those. Um, but um, how, what, we're, what we're really dealing with is how do we love those people? Because Jesus, uh, the great commission, the great, I mean, excuse me, the great commandment was, um, he, he was asked, what's the best commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, one of the things is I've always thought that's really interesting where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what we think is he gave us two. But he gave us one. It's easy to say, I love God, 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 I love Jesus, I love God. But according to Jesus, that is displayed by how we love each other. So it's intertwined. It's intertwined right there. And today we're going to talk about a topic of many t times that people who say they love God, but their love for other people doesn't always come, um, come through that uh, time and time again. So next week, I will tell you, next week we are going to talk about loving the very needy suckers, um, the people who are very, very needy. Whatever you do for them, it falls short. It's never enough. They always need more. Um, so how, how do we love them appropriately? The last week, we're going to end with um, those hypocritical suckers, um, people that may call themselves Christians, may call themselves uh, believers, but none of their life, at least none of their actions or anything, align with the Lord at all. So how, what is our role, if at all, with them, and how do we, how do we help find them true life in Christ? Today, um, something that all of us face at one point. Well, um, one or the other, we, we're going to face it. 
We're going to talk about overly critical suckers today. And people who, critical people, how many have ever been criticized for anything? Okay, all right. So um, they are the people that always pick us apart. And all of us will face critical people and those who can be overly critical. Some of you may have grown up with people who are overly critical or are critical. So, so um, how, how many of you, um, so some of you said you know people who have the gift of fault finding. We'll call it that spiritual gift of fault finding. Um, but um, a lot of us just have sometimes people, have you ever had sometimes, you've ever had people in your life, no matter what you do, they're going to find something. That is not there. Okay, all right. Um, and so that's what we're going to unpack. Uh, so there's, there's a story about a, uh, there was a, a family that was coming home from church. And the dad was fussing. And he's like, ah, the sermon was just too long and it was really, really boring. The mom said, you know, I thought the worship team played a little too loud on that first song that, that we sang. And the daughter, who was a music major in college, said, and they were that one was really off-key a little bit. They really need somebody better to sing. Grandma said, well, at least you guys could hear. I couldn't hear anything. We were sitting in the wrong place. I don't know what was going on there. Little Mikey listened to all this and, and started to fuss, fuss about the woman who had a big hairdo in front of him, and he couldn't even see around there. And then he nudged his dad, and he said, you know what, Dad? It wasn't too bad for a dollar, was it? <laughs> Criticizing, we love to criticize, don't we? So many people love to go someplace critical time and time again. Um, if you uh, walked into church today and found eight things you don't like, you could be the critical person um, right now if you nudged the person next to you and came up with eight things there. So there's a question, again, what, what are we dealing with? How possibly do we deal with those who are overly critical? How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways, and several of these things, um, there may be some people in your life who are critical. For instance, has anybody had a critical boss? Anyone in life? Okay. Um, they never hear about what you've done right, but they will pick at exactly the thing that you, you messed up on. Maybe you're an adult and you're a parent, but your parents still want to criticize everything you do the way you raise your kids, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time. Whatever they can, they will criticize you. They may even come down, you may even come downstairs and they go, you're going to wear that. All right, so that's, that's a start there. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody, they're critical about the way you look, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you chew, the way you load the dishwasher, or the way you don't load the dishwasher, how you leave your underwear on the floor, and how you wear the same shirt every day and everywhere you go. Um, so how do we deal with this appropriately and love those who are very, very critical? Uh, so, I mean, has anybody ever been criticized in church before, in a church before? Anybody? Um, I'm a pastor. The answer is yes, um, just to let you know. Um, but so, several people have, and that happens a lot of times. Some people may have, anybody been criticized for the church you go to? I mean, some people would be criticized for the church that you go to. Some would say it's too big, it's too small, it's too hip, it's too this, it's too that. It doesn't have an organ, it doesn't have that. You know, all these kind of things all over the time. Um, I remember one time I was, I was a guest speaker at a homecoming church where I wasn't even at that church associated, but I don't know how I got to be the homecoming speaker, but I did. Um, so anyway, I went and I, it was the homecoming um, 
pastor for the special thing. And I went in there, and I was going through, and I gave the sermon. I got out, and I was standing there and, you know, shaking hands and, uh, and you know, shaking babies and kissing hands or whatever they say they do. But I was doing that, and this uh, little lady came out to me and goes, your last name's Cohen, right? And I said, yes, it is. She goes, isn't that like Jewish origin? I said, yeah. And she goes, eh, we like you anyway. I was like, oh, thank you. I like you too. Um, and it was very, just very fascinating. One time, as a kid, I was standing outside a church, again, shaking hands. My dad was a guest speaker. And um, we were there during the day. And we're standing there. And people are like, oh, thank you so much. And he was there for the morning and the evening. Um, there was an evening message too. And shaking hands. And this man came out and decided to lambast him about everything. And dad's well, like, I'm sorry you feel that way. but And he's talking. And the guy was just yelling. My little kid eyes were like, Whoa! what's going on here and I had no clue the pastor's like I'm so so sorry I don't know what happened and going through you know all these kind of things we have all been criticized anybody ever worked in retail anybody were you ever criticized in retail of course we love to have criticism people love to do that time and time again so the bottom line is no matter what you do we're going to have criticism Um, there is a quote that is attributed to Aristotle amongst other people and it says to avoid criticism do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Now, I'm not going to criticize Aristotle, but I'm going to criticize Aristotle, because if you do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing, someone is going to criticize you for being a lazy bum. So you're going to be criticized in any single way. But the bottom line is, if you are alive, you're going to have to deal with criticism, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your values are going to be different, You will be criticized. You will be persecuted. Jesus promises this. So if you're following Jesus, you're going to definitely need to learn how to deal with criticism. For some, this may be wrecking your relationships. You know, your parents may be critical all the time. Grandma's critical. Uh, In your marriage, you're critical. Uh, Your boss is critical. Your friends are critical. Uh, Other church attenders are critical. Um, Other workers are critical. You just have it everywhere, everywhere. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we love and respond to people with a critical spirit? So I'm going to give you four things today. All right, I'm going to give you four things on how we respond to critical people in our lives. All right, you ready? Got your seat belts fastened and your chairs up right lock position? Here we go. We're going to take off. Um, the first thing that we do is often you don't respond. You don't do anything. You don't respond at all. Just because, and I'm going to tell you, not all these do I like. Um, Just because someone criticizes you, you are not obligated to respond to them. You're not. You just don't have to. And I will tell you, this is often the response that Jesus used to critical people. Time and time again, this is what he used. And um, you'll see this. In 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 23, and also you have, um, you, hopefully you have your bulletins. And real, real quick, Melinda, can, I forgot to get the QR code. Can we pop that up there um, right now And uh, before we get this? If you want to go ahead and get the digital um, one, there's a QR, QR code that you can have your, um, your di- digital uh, bulletin or whatever we call it now. All right, so um, in First Peter, chapter 2, it says, When they hurled insults at him, at Jesus... So, um, and what were some of those insults? He hung out with sinners or, uh, you know, prostitutes, uh, tax collectors, sinners. He hung out with all the bad people. How could he be a holy man? Um, he, he was a lunatic. 
He was a false god and a false prophet. Um, he was a heretic and worthy of, of death, and, and nobody should listen to him, amongst many, many other things. Jesus was constantly, constantly criticized. So it says, when they hurled insults at him, uh, Jesus, he did not what? He did not retaliate. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself uh, to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God the Father. Who just uh, who um, he entrusted him to hear? Notice that Jesus did not retaliate. He did not defend himself. He did not complain. He simply trusted uh, his Father in heaven. So, how do we respond to critical people? I know, like you're like me, you want to give them a piece of your mind, correct? And we're going to get to that. We got three more. Don't worry. But this first one is we don't have to respond at all. Um, when, when I have insults hurled at me, or actually I'm worse when insults are, are hurled at people I love and care about. That's when I kind of get, anybody else like that? Me, whatever. But then somebody you love, you're like, all right, let's, you know, you get ready. You're ready to, you know, take off the shirt and get ready or do whatever you need to do. Um, so, um, but Jesus did not retaliate and didn't make threats back to them. And I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't want to get a threat from Jesus. Uh, you know, there's you know, those angels, you know, may the swarm of a thousand, you know, flies infest your armpits or something. I don't know. I mean, that would be a, a, a good threat that would end up happening because Jesus could make it happen. But he didn't even do that. I mean, we recognize that when he's on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. But you know what? They don't know what they do. When meanwhile, people are saying, hey, if you're the son of God, and they're, they're spitting at him and they're throwing stuff at him, and he could have easily said enough of this and gone ahead and done that. But he entrusted it to his father. And so for us, we need to take Jesus' example and when we respond to critical people, sometimes we just don't. And there's a freeing response in that. Because some people just want a reaction. You ever know the critical people who want a reaction from you? And the more reaction you give, the more fuel on the fire it is, and they like that. And I think sometimes it's freeing just to say, I don't have to worry about you. I just need to trust the Father and go ahead and deal, deal with what he wants. He's, he knows who I am, and we're going to go there. Proverbs 19, 11 says this. A person's wisdom yields what? Patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Is that not hard? I mean, have you driven on the road lately? Like, they don't have to say anything. They just have to. I got to tell you, you know, like I, like I said, with the passing of Danny, with a lot of the loss and stuff this year, like I shared last week, that I'm I'm kind of sort beginning to sort through some of this grieving stuff. And the other day, I'm just riding down the road, minding my business, and I guess somebody thought I was a little too close to them, and they honked the horn at me, to which I, I looked at them and said, may Jesus bless you. No, I did not. I did not say that at all. I was angry. I wanted, ah! I was like, just please. I was like, we're, we're waving at each other, and I was like, hey, just please pull over, you know? I mean, I was in that mode, you know? All because he beeped at me, and I was like, oh, my driving's impeccable, you know? That kind of stuff. What's it matter? To overlook an offense and move on. When we overlook an offense, it's not pretending it didn't happen. I want to say that again. When we overlook an offense, it's not pretending that it didn't happen. It's not saying, because a lot of times we feel like if we go ahead and just overlook it and move on in life, that we go ahead and say, well, then I'm just letting them off the hook. I'm letting them get away with it. I'm letting, no, it's not acting as if it never happened. That's not what it is. But what it does mean in the, is two Hebrew words that actually mean to pass over, to get over that. To, 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 because what happens is a lot of times when offenses come there, we get so focused 
in the, the offenses that we can't get to where we're going. Like, for instance, I, you, know, you know I've coached and I've been part of sports for years. And one of the things that I've, I've always heard and we've always learned is when somebody do, hits a cheap shot, let's take football, it is always the second one that gets caught. And what you see at times, you will see people on a, on, I saw something the other day that a basketball player went up a year ago and he got fouled real hard, got hurt. And they were playing, and he was on another team, but he waited for that guy coming down, and first thing he did was, boom, elbow in the nose. He got caught. His focus, and he was out of the game. He didn't get to finish the game because he was so focused on retaliation that it was there. A lot of times when we focus so much on retaliation, not, not overlooking and getting over it, we miss out on the game and the journey that Christ has for us. And so that's what ends up happening a lot of times. To overlook an offense is really a form of forgiveness. Choosing, it's choosing to forgive in real time. In other words, I know it's not fair, and I could get angry. I could fight back. I could retaliate. I could um, get defensive. I could talk and spread all kinds of nice rumors about them. And I, I know all that stuff could happen, but what it may do is it may make my heart bitter. Usually revenge and retaliation makes your heart bitter, and the person you're trying to get that on who has committed the offense isn't even thinking about it. I can tell you I thought about that guy beeping at me and cutting into my lane a heck of a lot longer than he did about me. He was already ahead of me, and that happens time and time again. So over the last uh, half year, I have experienced several areas um, because what forgiveness does, and forgiveness in real time, it allows us not to have three months to not be bitter and to, to not be upset. I'm choosing right now because I'm called by God to a higher purpose. And because I'm called to, by God to a higher thing. And that's, let me say, that's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ and we are called to a higher standard. And so by doing so, that doesn't mean we're perfect either. But what I'm saying is, um, like over the last half year or so, I've experienced several areas that have um, brought about very, 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 very r- real in the moment, deep and significant hurt and being wronged. I have wanted to defend. I have wanted to strike back an attack that would make General Patton look minimum. Um, I have wanted to scream out for justice. I have wanted to take people out. Um, you know what I mean? When you're wronged and you're wronged and you're wronged, you just want, you, you cry for justice. You cry for help. You cry for strength. You want right to be there. And everything in me wanted to go Old Testament on some people. And, but sometimes what I recognize is I can't have what I need because that's just going to confound it. That I need to let the Spirit of God lead me and lift me up over this stuff. So I, I realized I could choose in real time. I could let, uh, I could recognize that God has, has my heart and wants my heart something better for me. And I can't let something lower take me off of a higher calling. But I need to be lifted up by the Spirit of God. Even, I'm not saying my feelings go away. Like a lot of times when God is having me get over something or past that, like if he's helping me get past an offense, I still remind him, hey, in case you decide that you really want to go ahead and deal with them, I'm cool with it. Oh, by the way, God, you know, that thing that happened a year ago, just reminding you in case you haven't done anything about it. Now, I, I still do that because I feel. If I see that person at Walmart, I'm not going to go, hi. 
I'm, I'm going to be like, mm, you know, God, do something, get hold of me. I'm going, you know, because it's there, because that's, that's where I am, and that's where many of us are. And I recognize that to be lifted up by the calling of God, that we have to choose to overlook, to pick up, and to have God's Holy Spirit do something in this time. Sometimes that could hurt me, and I want to fight back, and I, and I see weeping. I want to see weeping and gnashing of teeth on their end. But I, there's also something that I've, I've recognized at times, that when I've seen people that I thought them suffer, that it would make me feel better, the heart of the Father comes to me, and I have a compassion. And I'm like, it's bad when anybody suffers. You know, I don't get any joy of, of seeing people suffer. Although I t- still tell God he could do that to some people, all right? Um, so sometimes you don't respond. Sometimes you don't respond to criticism. That's number one. Everybody good? All right. Number two, sometimes you respond carefully. Carefully. Notice I didn't say instinctively. Notice I didn't say impulsively. Notice I didn't say you react right away. Reacting is emotion. Reacting is emotion, and your feelings will fail you. Responding means that we are spirit-led and led by the Spirit of God. For instance, in the Old Testament, um, real quick, I'm going to tell you about somebody in the Old Testament when I ask you, how many have ever received one of those little green Bibles by the Gideons? Anybody ever had a Gideon Bible, little one? Or you've opened a hotel drawer and it has it in there? Um, The Gideons, this is who it's named after, a guy named Gideon. He was taking some flack from people who didn't like what he was doing. Didn't like it at all. And here's what it says in Judges chapter 8. It says, Now the Ephraimites, they're one of the people in the tribes of Israel, from um, from Ephraim, um, asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight uh, Midian? And they challenged him vigorously, But he answered them. Okay, so they challenged him. They are criticizing him. Why didn't you? You should have. How come? I can't believe. You're supposed to be a leader. I I don't understand what you're doing. You're obviously not a guy. They're asking all these kind of things. So he could have gotten very, very defensive if he wanted to. Actually, another version of the Bible says they criticized him sharply. So what did he do? He did not defend himself. He did not fight back. He did not say, that's not fair, all you against me. He simply responded, but he answered them. He gave a very clear, very rational, very spirit-led response. It had no emotion in it, no like, no like emotion of anger or frustration. It was just there. And in verse 3, after he gave them this answer, look at what it says here in verse 3. It says, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger did what? subsided. It subsided. There are some times when a real, logical, spirit-led answer and a solid response gives a critical person an understanding that they didn't have if they're ready to listen to it. Now, I'm not saying for everybody. That's why there's four of these, right? Because you're going to have to read the situation and go from there. That's why God gave us a brain. Um, So, for instance, at some point, you are going to do something and someone is going to criticize you. For instance, they may say, why in the world are you going back to school at your age? You're going to be a pastor in full-time ministry? Are you stupid? You should be in computers. Why do you, why do you serve and donate all that time at the church? I mean, you go up there on Thursday nights for that Bible study, and then you're doing stuff here all the time? Why are you doing that? Wait a minute. You're telling me 
that you're, because now you have kids, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom? When you've got all that talent? Um, I, Melissa had, uh, when she decided to stay home with our kids when they were young, after Emigel was born, she had uh, a boss who really liked her who said, you know, you're, you're, you're worth more than just sitting home eating bonbons. Have you ever eaten a bonbon in your life? No, she didn't even know what a bonbon is. But, but that was what was told to her. When, when I was getting ready to leave to start this church, leave the United Methodist Church and, and go start this church, I had somebody who took me to lunch and sat me down and said, this is stupid. Why are you doing this? This, this is going to ruin your career. And so we had people who meant well. A lot of times people mean well. And then I explained to him. At that point, I explained God's calling. I know Melissa explained, hey, I feel like I need to be home with my kids and I want to have that time and to do those things. Um, and she still hasn't had a bonbon to this day um, that we know of. So what, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, so many people want to do that. Or it might be the opposite way. It may be the opposite way. Um, you're not going to stay home with your kids and you're going to go to work? I mean, we, you can't win with everybody. So you're going to go ahead and hear something. Um, so what are you going to do when somebody does that? Sometimes you just offer an explanation. Sometimes it will just make sense to someone. Say, okay, I get it. And just like in Gideon's place, they may hear the answer and their anger or frustration may subside. So what happens when your friend unleashes on you with a harsh criticism or your coworker picks you apart or your parents just ride you into the ground about what you're doing? What do you do? Wait. Everybody say wait. Wait before you respond. Wait before you respond. And then go ahead and respond properly. Here's another way I'm going to say this. When you type it out, don't hit send. I, I would tell you, one time I was aggravated, frustrated, um, attacked, and I wrote out a long thing. And I put it in notes and saved it. And I even gave it its own little password so nobody could get it. And then I revisited it two weeks later, and I deleted it. Because what would have happened if I had sent that would have sent everything into a total different place that it didn't need to be. So, so in that moment, I did kind of both things. I wrote and got out what I needed to, but I didn't hit send, and I'm thankful to God that I didn't. All right? So we have that one. When someone's incredibly critical, a lot of times the criticism isn't also about you. It really isn't about you. Um, what I found out is a lot of times people criticize and hurt you because of some hurt that's in their own life, something that's in their own life, time and time again. There is a wound. There is something that they don't like about themselves, some hurt that they have that gets too close. And so they go ahead and they criticize something to someone else. Um, I have found that the people that are the most critical of me are actually dealing with some kind of inconsistency or something in their life that isn't making them feel very good. Um, it's just, you know, like, and I'm, I'm going to just say this. Um, you know, I have never, never, ever, ever met a well-adjusted, happy, loving, productive, positive person who constantly bangs out hateful comments on Facebook. Never have in my life. I've never seen anybody who is just joy-filled that is constantly picking at everybody. I, I just never do. That type of ongoing anger comes out of a place of a wound or a hurt on somebody. I will guarantee you. And so they have a means to go ahead and express their opinions. And maybe it's because people didn't listen to their opinions and listen to what they say. So now they're going to let people know. What I need to recognize is I can't always get defensive. 
I want to have compassion. I, I try to love through the wound instead of taking it personally. Sometimes it's difficult. So here we go. So we have two so far. We have, how do I respond to people who are incredibly critical? Well, sometimes, what's the first one? We don't respond. The second one is sometimes we respond carefully. Okay, there we go. Number three, you ready for number three? Who's ready for number three? Say, I'm ready. All right. Occasionally, you listen and you make a change. Not all criticism is bad. Some criticism is needed. We call it constructive criticism. Sometimes somebody is coming to you from a good place and really has your best interest in heart. And I'm going to get real right now. Sometimes the people who are being hard on you are doing that because you won't listen. You just won't listen. If everybody tells you you have a problem, chances are you have a problem. For instance, let me say this. If everybody you have ever worked with mysteriously disappears, cuts you off, and doesn't talk to you at all, chances are they aren't the problem. You know what I mean? I mean, we have a perception, and our perception is our reality, and many times we need to hear some, some hard, constructive criticism about ourselves. And, and some people just can't do that at times. Um, and it took me years to get to that point. I'm still not always the best. But if, if, if your family is telling you you are yelling way too much at your kids, and everybody is telling you that, then chances are you may be yelling too much at your kids. And I will tell you, you yell too much at your kids, you know what they do? Turn it out. It's all like Charlie Brown teacher. Womp, 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 womp. That's all it is. Time and time again. If most of your friends, your parents, your teachers, all your coworkers tell you that you're dating Satan incarnate, maybe you need an exorcism and get a godly person, not that one, and get rid of them and quit settling for something beneath what God has prepared for you. Proverbs 15 has a really cool verse here. And it says, if you listen to constructive criticism... Okay, if you listen to that, you will be at home among the wise. So if you lif- listen to constructive criticism, you're going to learn for something of that, and you're going to say, I'm going to be better. I'm going to make myself better. Um, but if not, and you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Has anybody ever, I mean, right now, really out of love, has anybody really tried to tell somebody something that they really need to hear? It was difficult for them to hear. You tried to be loving with it. You tried to share with it, and they just did not receive it well. Anybody? And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this question. Has anybody ever done that to you? How many of you received it well? Or maybe it sunk in after you were angry. I don't, I don't like to be told. I remember when I was a young pastor, a young pastor, I, um, I, would want, I would never finish working on the sermon. I was like, all the way up to like, oh, okay, I got to be there at this time, and I'm, I'm working on it because I got to make sure this is the sermon that changes the world, right? Every single one, I got to make sure. And, and I was like, oh, no, I want the best, and I'm still doing it. And I would run in to church right before everything was starting. And I'd run up there and I'd do like a whirlwind. I was like the Tasmanian devil, you know, and running in and, and all this kind of stuff and zooming. And after a several months of that, I had someone who came to me um, 
She was the staff parish relations person, and I really liked her. She was a great person. And she came over to me, and she goes, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yes. She goes, can you be here a little bit earlier, and can you just, like, focus here? Because, you know, what you're doing is really good, but we feel like you're kind of losing it by rushing in and rushing out and doing it. And my first reaction was, hmm, you talking to me? Yeah, you know, that was my first reaction. But then I realized, hey, you know, because I used to always blame it on, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving, and as the Holy Spirit moves, there I move, right? But I also realized that God is a God of order as well. And so when I am creating chaos and blaming it on the Spirit, then I'm, being, I'm, I'm lying about the Holy Spirit. And I realized I had to go ahead and get some of my stuff in order so that the Holy Spirit can move even better. And it's something that I, that I had to do more and more and more. And, and I've learned that. And that's been one of the best things um, that ever happened. And I thanked her for that uh, later on. In life, there have been, um, I have learned a lot from loving critics who want to help me. And I will also say, I have learned a lot from critics who don't like me. Um, they've actually, uh, like, I remember this one lady was on the worship committee at, you know, one of the first churches I served. And if I said anything, she would say the opposite. Anybody ever been on committees or in anything with somebody? Anybody? Anybody know anybody like this? And no matter what I did or said, it was always something different. What it caused me to do is be, be, instead of just saying something, I needed to know why I felt passionate about that. And it caused me to go ahead and, and recognize, okay, this is why I'm passionate about that. And then there could be some things. Then I didn't always say that whatever this person said, I just cut her off. She actually had some valuable things in there. And for a while there, I was just like, oh, she's talking, cut off. But then I, when I opened up, I started to listen and say, okay, here we go, all right? Um, so there have been many areas of my life where constructive criticism has come from people that like me or didn't like me. And, it, and what I want to say is if in the last year, in the last year, if you have not had two, two to four things that you changed because of constructive criticism, guess what? You're missing out on growth. We really are. Um, and, and I think those are really, really good to do. And you can have them from individuals around you. You can have it from podcasts. I mean, you can do all kinds of different things. So three things. we got one more to go. Are you ready? So we have, how do we respond to people? Number one, sometimes we don't respond. Number two, we respond carefully, not emotionally, um, but spirit-led. And occasionally you do listen and make a change. So there we got some, we've got... Um, We've got the uh, occasionally we don't respond uh, sometimes, and then occasionally you listen. Number four, always work to guard your heart. Always work to guard your heart. Why? Why? Because we cannot be the one who lives with a critical spirit. Because what uh, criticism, if not approached properly and not received properly, and not put in the right category, can damage our heart to a place where we then become critical, and we become bitter, and we become hurt. Um, I've, I've often thought years ago about uh, a, a lady who, um, who was in her 40s who never went to church since she was a youth person because she heard some youth leaders or some other people, adults behind her, criticizing and talking about her. And that put a critical spirit and a hurt spirit in her that it took... 30 years for her to ever dawn the door of a church again. Um, and so that there's, there's many, many people who that is. Who has a critical spirit? Satan. 
Satan is called the accuser of the brother, brethren. He is the father of lies. He is the critical one that keeps us with shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. I, you know, I will tell you, uh, this is a good rule of thumb. I've had some people say, but I feel so guilty. And I say, stop. Guilt, I'm going to tell you this. This is, this is a life thing here. Guilt does not come from God. Conviction comes from God. That if you're doing something, God is a great constructive criticizer. Hey, Jack, I love you, but you need to deal with this, right? And it's, it's not part of me, right? Look at my word, listen to me, listen to the calling. When, I, when I'm like, Jack, you did that thing, you are no good. I don't know why you even call yourself a pastor. I don't even know why you call yourself a Christian. I don't even know why you call yourself loving. I don't know. That is from the pit of hell. See the difference? And I want people to recognize that because there are so many people walking around in this world that are guilt-ridden and they're getting it from the intentional hurtful criticizer of Satan. That's his job. That's what he wants to do time and time again. Do not allow him or the spirit to drive you to have that critical spirit. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. Some people, what do they do? What, what, do, they, what do they make? Some people make cutting remarks. What do they make? Cutting remarks. Some people make cutting remarks. But the words of the wise bring what? I want, I, want you to say, I want you to say that with me again. Some people make what? Cutting remarks. But the words of the wise bring healing. We've, we've shared before just a few series ago that, um, that the words we have bring life and death. That we have the power of life and death in our words. So if I see somebody who's doing a job and learning and not doing well at it, I can, I have two approaches, life and death. I can say, why did you even sign up for this job? You're useless. Or I can say, hey, I really appreciate how much you're trying. Let me help you and show you how to do this because I know one day you're going to be teaching other people and you're going to be doing something well. Yeah. I've had conversations with people who've shared with me that there have been people in, in business and in work that have been um, people who made a way for them, who yeah, they criticized them, but they also encouraged them and put them in positions and said and, and helped them. And it put them in, into some positions that they're in now in the business world or in, in work world. And my question to them is always this. Who are you that for? We don't have somebody give us words of life and encouragement to get us to a place to just say, Woo, I arrived. It's so that we can in turn encourage others and build one another up and get us to a place. I, want to, I don't want to be somebody who's known for my cutting remarks. Right now, I'm going to do a little trick here. You ready for this? I'm going to make everybody think of names. Who in your life do you know who's known for giving cutting remarks? Go. Keep it to yourself. You got a name, don't you? That person, when they pass away and die, even if the pastor stands up and says they're the most wonderful person in the world, you know that they were somebody who loved to tear people down because of their own bitterness. But now I want you to think of, do you know somebody who brought life to you in their words and encouragement and loved you and encouraged you and told you you could be whatever you want and taught you about the love of Christ? And I mean, Do you know those names? Do you feel a little bit different about them? My question for you is, which one do you want to be in your obituary? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that somebody says, they gave me life and encouraged me? Or do you want to be the person that they said, they tore me down and meanwhile, I'm spending thousands of dollars on counseling because of it. 
It's your choice. Because you have the power of life and death in our words. I don't want my words, my heart, my spirit to be cutting, uh, to be detracting, to be life-taking. I do want my words and my heart, my spirit to be life-giving, to build others up and to encourage them. The problem is because of our sinful nature, guess what? We can often be the critical ones. So often critical people don't know they're critical because they justify their own criticism. Um, like in, in our own ignorance, we often actually think that we're right to tear people down. Yet we have no, and a lot of times people don't have any idea how incredibly critical we can be born out of a simple spirit. For example, have you heard this? I cannot believe she's wearing that in church. And she's acting like she loves God. All she loves is that job she's got. She's trying to show everybody else up. My boss is a complete imbecile. He's the dumbest guy I ever, ever met. That coach is so stupid, he should be fired. Can you believe he made that play? I mean, I never played a down of football, but yeah, I mean, he should be fired. Um, Justin and I were talking about this. That umpire, that is the worst umpire. Get some glasses, fool. Sound familiar to anybody? If I had that kind of money, I wouldn't spend it the way they do. I mean, if I was rich, I would do much more godly things than they're doing. I have no idea what that person's doing. I, I, look how dumb they look. She is so full of her selfie. I mean, selfie, selfie, selfie. Her whole page of selfies. Nobody wants to see her. It's all made up. It's a glamour shot. That ain't how she really looks. Sound familiar? Time and time again. We have no idea how incredibly critical our own spirits can be at times. But we need to guard our hearts against that. I can be very critical. I can be very opinionated. That sounds better, doesn't it? I'm very opinionated. It makes it sound like we're intelligently critical. Um, But I don't know about you, but I I have several areas. And often I will do it with humor. Because then it's less cutting. Like, I do it because that's what I do with everything, humor. That's, that's, my, that's my safeguard. I protect everything with humor. Um, and so, like, for, for instance, you put me in a room. I'm immediately scanning the room, and I am picking apart any idiosyncrasies that somebody has. Or if somebody messes up, I am just, like, going to it. And, and if you mess up, like, you say something wrong around us, we're going to pick it up, and we're going to go with it forever. Um, my daughter Rachel is really, really good at that. Um, she gets that from me. Um, I, I, I have sat in sermons. I have sat in speeches. I have sat in, um, in arenas, um, all kinds of things, and I've picked apart somebody's speech. I have sat at a graduation speech going, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Maybe if they did this. Um, if I listen to a speech or a sermon, I can come up with 15 things that I would have done better. Um, I, when it comes to coach, I can tell people how they can coach better, how they can teach better, how they can train pets better, how they can drive better, how they can wear better clothes, um, the way people pronounce words, and on and on and on and on again. Somebody, um, I, somebody who has uh, a different work ethic than me, I can, I can go there. I can pick up and, and hit somebody up one side and down the other if I want to. So why can I be so critical? When I'm critical in those moments, it's because... I haven't guarded my heart, and my critical heart is born out of my own pride, ignorance, or hurt. That's simple. When I'm criticizing, 
in a cutting way is because of my own pride, my own ignorance, or my own hurt. So how do we overcome living with a critical spirit? We have to become deeply grounded in who we are in Christ. I talked about this two weeks ago. We have to clarify our calling. This is who I'm called to be because I know God. This is what God's calling me to be. This is who I'm supposed to be. So I'm confident and assured of my opinion of me, regardless of what what anybody thinks of me, I know I am in the zone where God wants me. And guess what? When I'm in the zone and the calling that God has me, I am definitely going to get criticism. You know why? Because Jesus did, and he promised us that we would as well. So if you're getting criticism and you feel you're in the zone that God has you, congratulations, welcome to being a follower of Christ. And don't worry about what they say, because as in the song we sang today based on Scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, and I don't have to bow to anybody else as long as I'm good with Jesus, and I'm in my zone, and I'm in my zone where I am. I can overlook it because I have a higher calling. I can't get caught in the lower things, picking everything apart, because I've got something more important to do. And so I'm already approved by God, and the approval of others or disapproval does not matter. Because I know who I am in Christ. I don't have to tear somebody else down to make me feel better. I used to be really bad about that about other pastors. I used to be really, really bad about that. Um, because I felt insecure myself. I felt not good enough, so I wanted to be like, pick the part and cut something down so I felt better about myself. All it did was make me be a blabbering idiot. If I need your praise to live, anybody's praise to live, I will die by their criticism. Let me say that again. Because that's pretty good. That was better than your response, okay? Um, if I need anyone else's, if I need your, I'm just, the, the royal you, if I need your praise to live, I will die by your criticism. I can't be driven by what you think of me. I want to get to the place in my life where very, very clearly I'm not motivated by praise from people, by emotion. I'm not derailed by criticism, also, I don't want to be derailed by compliments. I, I don't want that, that criticism or that building up to get into my heart. I just want to do what God called me to do each and every day, wherever he's placed me. And I don't have to tear you down to make me feel better. I'm not going to respond driven by the flesh. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to be respond driven by the spirit of God. To be who God called me to be. If you don't like me, sorry. This is it. It doesn't get much better. I mean, you can clean it up a little bit, but still it is what it is. Um, But bottom line is, I'm just doing the best I can to fulfill my calling that Christ has called me to to do and to deal with all the other stuff in life that comes about with it. Some of us need to go ahead and really start with square one and to go ahead and to fulfill the calling God has placed on our lives. You may be retired, but guess what? You're not put out to pasture. God still has a plan and a calling for your life. If you're too wrapped up in everybody else and what they think, it's called idolatry. And you can't please God by living for the approval of people. When you serve God, people are going to be critical. You've got to deal with it. The higher you rise, the more critics you're going to have. The more you do, the more people are not going to like you. And if you want to make a difference, you've got to learn to live with it and rise above it. 
So what do, we, what do we need to know? The Apostle Paul said this really good as we were winding this down today. I think he said this awesome. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do we pick other believers apart? Why do we tear them down? Why do you look down on another believer? Can you just sense the critical spirit that's going on here? I'll tell you how to find it. I mentioned it last week. And I'm not being political here. I'm just telling you. Get two Christians together who both said that they've been, um, they've been uh, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and then ask their opinion on vaccines. And if you don't believe me, get on social media and you'll see Christians in the name of God destroying one another. And doesn't have a place in the body, according to the Apostle Paul. I don't, whatever way he goes on in this to say, you, God gave you a conscience, figure it out with him and be good with God. But don't tear one another up. Here's what he says. So why are we picking on each other, critically tearing people down? He says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then he says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So what does he say? So let's stop condemning each other. Stop. Look at your neighbor and say, stop. Look at your second choice and say, you stop too. We need to stop recognizing that we have the answers to everything. And what we need to do is get secure. I believe we look to everybody else and we criticize everybody else, particularly in the church, because we aren't clear of our calling, so we want to tell everybody else how to live out theirs. We need to be clear of our calling, be good with the, the uh, conscious and the mentality that God gave to us and serve him in the way he's called us to do and love one another as I have loved you. We need to stop tearing each other down, picking each other apart, being nitpicky about every little thing. We need to be open to constructive criticism. We are not called to be anyone else's judge. We need to stop looking again at the speck of sawdust and in another's eye and looking at this large two-by-four in somebody else's. There is, I don't know about you, we are called to love people. And there is enough negativity in the world. There is enough hatred. There is enough anger. There is enough narcissism. There is enough selfishness. That we as the body of Christ need to stop it. I don't want to be a voice of discouragement. I don't want to be one of death and dying to someone. I want to be a voice of life. I don't want to be one who's always looking for something wrong. I want to be one who's looking for the thing that is right. I want to look for something. I, I, I don't want to look for something that's critical. Because if you want to look for something that's critical, you will find it. You find what you look for. If you want to look for good, even in the midst of this horrible junk that's going on, in our world, every single person's life, every single thing, big, small, medium. If you want to see, oh, it's gloom and doom, chicken little, the sky is falling. If that's what you want to do, then you can do it. You cannot leave your homes. You cannot leave your cars. You can sit around in a corner by yourself and turn on the TV and be gloom and doom. It's, where's the apocalypse? Or if you want to go ahead and see, my gosh, even in the midst of this, God is working. Even in the midst of this, people are growing in faith. You can see it if you look for it. Jesus says, seek me and I will be found. You become what you focus on. 
If you focus on negative, you're going to have a negative spirit. And your first response will be to criticize and have a negative response to everything. When God looked at the world, he said, this is good. Now, we know that it fell because of sin and everything else. But when it went bad, what did he do? He didn't say, this awful, disgusting, punted out of the universe. No, he sent his pure, holy, sinless son, Jesus, to take what is bad and to bring that which was dead and dying back to life through him. Because that's what people of God are supposed to do. As Christians and followers of Jesus, when we walk into a room, light walks into the room because Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And he dwells within us. We are to be salt, flavor, preservative, and light. You know, you can never have too much dark for one little match. There's never too much dark to shut out the smallest amount of light. We are to lift up spirits. We are to encourage one another. We are to build each other up in faith. We are to point people to Jesus. We are to love. We are to tell the truth in love. And if somebody has something to say and they're critical, and we can learn from it, learn from it. And if we can change and recognize that we aren't perfect, fine. That's iron sharpening iron. But if it's a distraction, if it's a wall, if it's a voice from another intention, we need to recognize that we have a higher calling. We're called to rise above it, to overlook the offense, to dress it sometimes carefully because we recognize that we are not living for the approval of people because we always have, already have the approval of God. And that's what's super important. As our worship team comes forward, um, Robert A. Cook, a former president of King's College in New York City, told a story about his early years of ministry. He was pouring out his, his, um, his uh, heart to his, past, his friend, who was Pastor Harry Ironside. And Pastor Ironside, he said, it, Dr. Cook was saying, what should I do about all the criticism that I'm getting? People are criticizing everything I do. What should I do? And, and this uh, Reverend Ironside, uh, who was just a, a man of, of just faith and power, and just trusting God said, Bob, if the criticism about you is true, mend your ways. Get it right. If the criticism is real, get it right. If it isn't, forget about it. In our lives, if there's something that we're getting criticism by, and if it's true, then let's get it right. Let's get it right, because we have a higher calling. We have a calling that God has called us to, to to be salt and light, to be encouragers and not those who distract and, and tear, tear people down, but to bring life, not death. But if it's not true, forget about it, right? Forget about it. Move on. Because all it is is a distraction from the goodness and the call that God has in your life. All right? Everybody good? All right. So when you leave here, Set the timer how long somebody's going to criticize you or vice versa. And there is forgiveness. Hallelujah, right? Forgiveness. So let's just stand um, as I uh, give this message, this sermon. Lord God, um, I just want to ask for my, for my own forgiveness now because 
in my own hurt. I can be one of the most critical people because I hurt. I don't like to hurt God. Sometimes I also want to ask for, for prayers because sometimes I think I know someone's calling better than, I know my, than they know it with you. So God, um, just forgive me for that stuff, but also help me to learn to accept constructive criticism. Let me begin to, um, to understand that there are things in my life that I need to, to get right. And for those who have another intention, God, just, I just pray that, that you'll just re- remove that voice from my head and I can just keep, keep going further and keep serving you until the day I take my last breath. And so, Lord, for those of us who are here today and we, are, we may have grown up in a very critical environment, may have felt that there's nothing that we could ever do that was right, that no matter, we may, we may have gotten into jobs, we may have gotten into marriages, we may have gotten into... Uh, we may have parents, we may have um, just friends, we may be surrounded by people who just constantly tell us what, what is wrong. God, let us know that we have a, a Father who loves us. He loves us as we are, and He loves us too much to leave us that way. And that if we want to look at a world that is just uh, broken and falling apart, we can see that. But if we want to look for the good and the, and the light that shines in the darkness, we can so God, right now, somebody in the sound of my voice may never have accepted uh, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Because in this world, when everything that you said was good started to go bad, you sent him into the world to live, to suffer, to die, to shed his blood for the sins of everybody in the world. That all we have to do is call in the name of the Lord, Jesus, I got it messed up and I need you. If there's one criticism we all need to hear is that We can't do it alone, and we need a Savior. And there's only one. His name is Jesus. And so, Lord, if someone has never opened their hearts and their lives and said, Jesus, all right, I need you, may they get it right here today. Start to live life in a new and powerful way, growing in Christ Jesus. So, God, wherever we are right now, as there's people who who are here to pray with us, I pray that you will... Speak to each one of us and we will worship you. And it won't stop as we leave here when we get cut off on the road when we're trying to get out of church. Maybe we just stop and recognize that maybe that person is on the way to a family member who is dying in the hospital. Maybe we just stop and say, God, I don't know why they're in such a hurry. But man, I pray that if it's a reason that you'll be very present in their lives and show them how real you are. We love you, God. And you do your thing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
Amen. Everybody have a wonderful week. As you're heading out, those of you who are here, you can't do this if you're online, which is one of the reasons why it's really good to come together. There's some goodies out here, some um, some coffee, some stuff out there, fellowship. Spend some time there. And if you're, uh, and again, if you're visiting and you want to do that, that's um, that's fine too. I know Joanna, um, because of everything that's going on with um, with a lot of loss that I've had this year, Joanna's been left for three weeks, um, three to pray for me, um, and there, people are going to do that, um, which I appreciate that all the time. Um, if you want to, feel led to do that. Everybody online, you can keep praying. Um, we'll let you go. Um, but um, Joanna is said she's got to listen to the Lord so she can get some sleep. So she's going to come do that. family with grace, free his family from the anxiety and the sadness and the losses that they have endured. And in the past 18 months, they have endured more than any of us ever could. Free their minds to continue to focus on God and serving others. Guide them through the journey of grief as they have many to grieve and right now more than most of us. Their losses have been great and they've been many. Guide them to the peace that they'll find in forgiveness and choosing God's way. Let them see the higher calling and ease the pain that they have all been through. Let them go on through the pain and see the growth that will come to them and their families and to those in this church that they touch every day. Keep their bond close and let us all lift them up for the comfort and uh, the hands of your grace. Guide us jack's family in christ in this church to continue to support jack and his family let us be strong for them be with them every moment grant them mercy love and understanding god let your will be done take this family and raise them up as they have raised so many of us and kept us strong through so much let it be our turn to bless and give them love unconditionally in Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.